Welcome to the Feels Like 05 podcast, your premier source for the 2021 Texas football season preview. I am your host, Carter Yates. Alongside me today, I got a very special friend. He is Brett Hintz. Brett, why don't you say what's up to the listeners? What's up? What's up, guys? Me and Carter are excited to uh, provide analysis and uh, a concrete preview uh, for Texas football. And uh, yeah, it's been a while for both of us since we've both podcasted, and I'm, we're both excited to be here and just provide that thing for you. I'm ready. For sure. So Brett has a little more audio experience than me, I would say. Me, personally, I have spent the past year covering Texas football in the offseason for a, a student-run newspaper at the University of Texas, and Brett has been doing a little more audio. Yeah, Carter has more. He's, Carter's more of the scribe between the two. We both <laughs> we both covered. We spent a little bit of time both covering football uh, for a certain publication at the University of Texas, um, and I we both both also spent time covering various sports at uh, KVRX, and so I hope I'm allowed to mention that. If I'm not, we'll cut it out. But um, you know, we spent both a lot of time covering football for various publications in Austin. And yeah, so we're both ready to provide this analysis for you. Yeah, for sure. And I think the biggest thing that we wanted to do in making this, this production together is there's a lot of information out there about the Texas football team. There's so many outlets that are forcing information down your throat, basically. And it's very easy to get caught in the weeds, right? right? So we wanted to make an audio format kind of just three-hour preview to give you the information you need to know about the Texas football team. So that way, this fall, when we're back at tailgates in a fully packed DKR uh, crowd, you're knowing what's going on, and you're able to talk football with just about anybody. Right, and Carter is a a junior at UT, and I'm a senior at UT, and so me and Carter both have years of experience watching Texas football and taking everything in and just getting a vibe and and a a good feel uh, for the overall culture for the football team at UT. And so we're making it easier uh, for those who haven't spent, you know, three or four years obsessively watching UT football, maybe too much. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah. And so that's the goal here is just to, is to use all of our knowledge that we've accomplished, like we've, we've uh, accumulated throughout the years and sort of just make it easy in a, a real simple preview. And that way you can understand and, you know, be knowledgeable that way. Whenever you see someone catch a pass at DKR, you can be like, Oh yeah, I know who that is. Or if, you know, if you know, but if you see Bajan Robinson, you know, score an 80-yard touchdown, you'll be like, okay, like, like, I know that guy's good. Now, I knew that because I listened to Carter and Brett. Yeah. So. Well, a lot of people might not know either, so it feels like 05. They might not know what that's in reference to, but right. that holds a very special <laughs> meaning to, to Texas Longhorn fans. Right, and because like, and that's, that's the name of our, our podcast because, honestly, if you go to the University of Texas and you don't know the significance behind what 2005 is, you, know, you should know. And so thanks to our podcast and thanks to the title of our podcast, we're trying to go back to 05 whenever we won the national championship with Vince Young. Yes. In case you didn't know. Yeah, one of the greatest college football games of all time, Vince Young. It's replayed on Longhorn Network, I think, 20 times a year, probably, that, that Rose Bowl game against USC. Big upset. One of the greatest individual performances by Texas quarterback Vince Young. And that's what it was saying. So Texas football now is turning over a new leaf. They have a new coach. They have an experienced roster filled with upperclassmen. So, hey, not saying it's a championship year, but it kind of feels like 05. It oh, feels yeah, like it we... Feels- it feels like we're almost there. There's a lot more optimism around this Texas football team than there has been in recent years, and it's an exciting time to be a Texas fan. Right. It feels like 05 in the sense that maybe we won't lose to a team like Kansas or Kansas <laughs> State again in that sense. 
Maybe oh, we're not guaranteeing a national championship here. Like, don't get don't get us wrong. That's not our preview for Texas football's national championship. That's not. I don't think that's either. No. Of our previews. We're not. We're not even there yet. But you know, it's important to remember just exactly what 2005 was. For sure. So we mentioned it before. New coach here for Texas football. Let's talk, Brett, quickly. Fill the listeners in on Tom Herman the four-year head coach who was fired this past January, his tenure, what kind of went wrong, and why were they forced to make a change? Yeah, I mean, so Texas uh, under Tom Herman just was really bad in close games. Obviously, we watched that all last year. They've lost, I think, their com- their games by a combined 13 points or something like that, or by two scores or less. I think yeah. it was the number. I'm sorry. Um, but they just were terrible in close games. And, you know, they had – they like I have a stat right here in front of me. They've played with a lead. Uh, they've been tied or been within one score on 90% of their offensive drives in 2020. And out of the power, like out of all the Power Five football teams to accomplish this feat, the Texas Longhorns are the only Power Five program with more than two losses. And so that I think that's a really good way to sort of summarize what went wrong with Herman. Is we had no issue, you know, playing up to TCU or playing up to OU. It was just, you know, being able to execute and having the right personnel out there to get the wins against the, team, the teams that you absolutely have to beat. If you looked at Herman's record, he's 32-18. and 18. He won four straight bowl games. That was something a Texas coach hadn't done in forever. Looking from an outsider's perspective, you would say, like, that is not worthy of being fired. Like, that's a pretty good... Resume, but I think it's just at Texas, there's just such a bigger expectation. Right, and it's important, you know, just even for the most elementary of Longhorn football fans to understand that winning at, at Texas is always going to be paramount. It doesn't matter if you win a little bit, like, or it, it, excuse me, it does matter. It matters if you win a little bit, if you win a lot of it, you have to win a lot. You can't just win a little bit of games. You have to win. You have to, you're expected to, to compete in your conference championship every year and maybe even for the national – to be the, at least be in the discussion for the national championship, for the 14 for playoff. Yeah. And so whenever you have a coach like Tom Herman who isn't uh, able to provide sort of that guarantee whenever you're Chris Del Conte that you're like, okay, this is the coach that I know can, can at least get me to a conference championship game. And we don't have that, or at least we didn't have that. And in Chris Del Conte's mind, that's why he made the decision, in my opinion at least. And, that's, and it had to happen because, like, you know, I, I remember looking at uh, – a bunch of things whenever it was uh, Herman might have been getting fired. We didn't know whenever him and Chris Del Conte had their little thing for a couple of weeks where it was like no one knows what's going on. But, you know, whenever we were looking at it back then, if you look at who we're playing this year at TCU, at Iowa State, at West Virginia, at Baylor, at Arkansas, and OU, like how many games do we genuinely believe of those can we win under Herman? And so whenever it comes down to it, I think that's the decision that Chris Del Conte had to – had to, that's the question that he had to face, and I think that's why he made the decision that he did. Yeah, and it was a very weird scenario because literally two weeks before Herman was eventually fired, Del Conte came out with a statement and said, Herman is our head coach and we stand behind him. Now, there were some occurrences throughout 2020 in the fall season that kind of forced him, forced his hand where he had to let Herman go, right? Even though Herman, like we said before, had an okay record, won four bowl games, the recruiting was starting to take a hit. And Texas is a program that no matter, basically no matter what their on-the-field record has been for the longest time, they're still pulling a top 10 recruiting class nationally every year. And Herman was at the point where the 2021 class was ranked about 17th, which means that high school recruits were getting tired of Texas's 
lack of success on the field. Right, because why would you why would you want yeah, to Yeah, exactly. So Herman's message had gotten stale to the recruits, and it was punctuated by the fact that Quinn Ewers, the number one quarterback in the nation, the number one overall recruit out of South Lake Carroll, was a lifetime Longhorns fan. This is a guy, an in-state prospect, who Texas football needs to get. And the guy committed to Texas, but then after... Another 2020 season of just missed opportunities, losing close games. He flips his commitment to Ohio State. And I think that was really a nail in the coffin for Herman. Right. And, and we were talking just about like how weird the little dance was between CDC and Herman whenever you know, he came out and gave his vote of confidence to him. And, that, and it comes down to what you said exactly, recruiting. You know, the only reason that CDC comes out and gives that, that sort of, you know, Herman has his job, like he has my vote of confidence, is to save recruiting. You know what I mean? Like if you, if as an AD, if you come out and you don't support your head coach publicly, recruits are like, why would I want to go, you know, sign up to play four years for a coach who I don't even know is going to be there next spring or next fall. So, you know, it comes down to recruiting. And like you said, that's the crux of it. Um, And Herman, he failed to recruit enough. And whenever you add the on-field production with the lack of recruiting, you have a very grim outlook. And so whenever that's the case at a place like the University of Texas where football and winning are paramount, you have to replace them. And so now we're here with Steve Sarkeesian. Uh, and we're looking forward to the Steve Sarkeesian, uh, to the Steve Sarkeesian era. Hey, y'all, we're going to take a quick break from Brett and I talking y'all's ear off to bring you a quote from Stephen Wagner, who was the former football beat writer and associate sports editor of the Daily Texan for the fall of 2020. And he's going to be talking about the Tom Herman era and what went wrong. So here's that. Daily Texan in 2020, Tom Herman's last season. Um, give me your thoughts on what transpired last year, your thoughts on the season, and what ultimately led to Tom Herman being let go. I think the biggest thing that came out of last season was just this overarching sense of disappointment that Longhorn fans have kind of been dealing with for about the last decade. Uh, I mean, you know, you're talking about a team that has had one season that has really met the Texas standard of, you know, New Year's Six Bowl, uh, Big 12 championship appearance at the very least and beating OU in the Red River rivalry. You know, they've only, you know, had a season that really hit all three of those um, since uh, 2009, whenever Texas was last in the national championship game. And so, you know, this is a fan base that has been kind of starved and, you know, in, a, in some weird ways depraved um, for basically the last decade. Um, and I think we kind of saw that frustration kind of, you know, boil over a little bit, um, you know, because last year was supposed to be, the season that Texas returned to all of its, all of its former glory, uh, you know, after that sugar bowl campaign in 2018, uh, 2019 was just ultimately a humongous disappointment. You know, you start out the season, uh, you start out the season ranked in the top 15 by week two, you're ranked in the top 10 and, you know, you're playing LSU at home. And even though, you know, that was a close loss, you know, the, everybody was still feeling really, really great about, about the direction of the program and the way things were trending. Um, then things all kind of fell apart in 2019. But, you know, I think what really saved Tom Herman in 2019 and what, you know, made fans at least somewhat um, optimistic, optimistic to bring him back in 2020 was the fact that he was supposed to have the most talent assembled on the Texas roster since that 2009 national champion or 2009 team that appeared in the national championship game. Um, you know, you've got the best quarterback that Texas has had since Colt McCoy, arguably the third best quarterback 
in the history of, in the history of Texas football. Um, you know, you've got, you know, a wide receiver core that's a little bit down, but you're hoping that the quarterback can make up for that. Uh, you've got the most experienced offensive line probably in the last decade. And you've got, you know, a hot shot new defensive coordinator um, who's really supposed to be able to, you know, re-energize and rejuvenate um, a defense that was incredibly disappointing for a lot of parts of last year. And so, you know, you just felt this, overwhelming sense of hype and pressure uh, surrounding this team. And ultimately Texas lived up to none of the hype. Um, You know, they lost to, you know, they lost to TCU um, the week before they played Oklahoma. They lost to Oklahoma and then they lost to Oklahoma the following week. So, you know, you're starting out, you know, your dream season two and two, uh, you know, after you again had a really, really generous AP ranking to start the year and you're, ranked in the top 10 pretty early on in the season. You're starting the year two and two, and then ultimately you lose to Ohio State, or I'm sorry, Iowa State at the end of the season in uh, in the last home game of the year. And, you know, let's be truthful here. Uh, you know, Texas fans don't expect to lose to Iowa State in any sport under any circumstance. You know, Texas is bigger. Texas recruits better. Texas has more, has a larger area to recruit. The recruiting pipeline's a lot better. It's better funded. It has more resources. Um, you know, the fan base is much larger and much more loyal and much more diehard than Iowa State's. And so, you know, that's a that on paper. Um, Iowa State's a program that no matter how good they are, Texas should always be able to beat them. And I think that was really um, the nail in the coffin for Herman. Um, you know, I've said it before, seven, eight wins is good enough for a lot of coaches at most programs in the country. Um, you know, especially if you look at a lot of these group of five schools or maybe some of these underachieving power five schools, you know, you win seven, eight games, you know, that's and make a bowl game, win a bowl game. That's probably enough to uh, to keep your coach around. But at Texas, where the expectation is national championship or New Year's six or bust, um, Tom Herman simply didn't get it done. I'm really happy you brought that excited about as far as Steve Sarkeesian goes. Yeah, well, Steve Sarkeesian is a guy who is touted as this offensive guru. And much similar to how Herman was when he came from the head coach of Houston. Uh, before that, he was an offensive coordinator at a national title team at Ohio State. Steve Sarkeesian was Alabama's offensive coordinator for a national title run. And Steve Sarkeesian was a guy who structured an offense that had three Heisman Trophy contenders, QB Mac Jones, who was a one-year starter at Bama and lit it up after Tua Tagovailoa left for the NFL. They had Devontae Smith, wide receiver, who eventually did win the Heisman Trophy. And they also had a running back, Najee Harris, who torched SEC defenses uh, and it was a really balanced offense. It was probably the best offense in the nation. Obviously, they ended up winning the national title. So I think that's what Texas fans are most excited for is because they're seeing this recent success. They're seeing what he was able to do uh, to an Alabama offense that, I mean, let's face it, Alabama is a powerhouse. And, you know, there are going to be people who say, of course, Steve Sarkeesian was able to do this. He's He's coaching under Nick Saban, one of the best coaches of all time. But Alabama's offense was completely different last year. And in the years Steve Sarkeesian was the offensive coordinator than it had been in the early 2010s and even in the few years after that. I mean, 
Alabama was always a team that just ran the ball down people's throats, not very imaginative on offense. They really became this spread RPO football team under Sarkeesian. And it's wild because whenever I saw the name Steve Sarkeesian uh, and whenever he was connected to the Texas uh, football head coaching job, I'm like, Steve Sarkeesian, like, are we serious? Because I, what I remember from Steve Sarkeesian is his tenure with the Falcons. And I mentioned that because you talk about his tenure with, the, uh, with Alabama. His offensive philosophy changed almost entirely. In Atlanta, he was running the ball and grounding and pounding it. And that's why, truly, that's why he lost his job is because they ran the ball too much. And then he gets to a place like Alabama with all these weapons like Devontae Smith, um, Jalen Waddell, and just this plethora of weapons. He just completely just changes his entire strategy as far as running an offense goes. And so if we get the Sarkeesian that's running that same offense at Alabama, now granted, obviously, we don't have Alabama-level personnel, at least not yet. Like, we're not in the SEC yet. But, <laughs> but um, you know, if we get that level of, of – if we get that Sarkeesian from Alabama, and like I said, we don't have the same players, but if we get the same sort of coaching, I think we, there's, a, there's a chance for something really special in Austin. And I think that's the fear, right, that a lot of people have is Steve Sarkeesian, yeah, you did it at Alabama, you had the schemes that that worked, but you also had these players who were otherworldly talents. Texas, at this point, does not have that. They've got a new quarterback they're trying to break in. They've got a wide receiver room that is inexperienced, that has lost a transfer, that had guys leave early for the NFL draft. Uh, They've got a running back who is – is a Big 12 player of the year contender, but largely hasn't carried a huge workload yet in his career. So the question is, Sarkeesian, can you do it with not the clear-cut best players on the field? Right, and that's what's scary about it is is can. It's because it's a first-year head coach. Um, We have no idea what it's going to look like because it's been forever since Steve Sarkeesian's been a head coach. It's been since his USC days. I believe that was, what, five years ago since he got released or since this whole I think it might have been over five years ago, honestly. Yeah, it was was a while ago. So it's been a while since we've seen Steve Sarkeesian head coach, and we just don't know what it's going to look like yet. Um, And so, I mean, as far as making a preview for you guys, that obviously doesn't owe well for us because, like, you know, previewing a team with new coaches and new schemes in place, uh, you know, is a challenge in its own. But that's just the big thing that gives Texas fans, uh, I think, the most pause is just the fact that it's it's the fear of the unknown is that we just don't know which Sarkeesian that we're going to get. And we don't know if we're going to get the Sarkeesian that's going to be able to get the most out of his players like he was in Alabama or is we're going to get the, the Sarkeesian that was inefficient in Atlanta and was awful at calling plays. You know what I mean? So I think that's, I think that's sort of the pause um, that Texas fans have, and I think they should have. Because personally, I don't know, if, I don't know what sort of Sarkeesian we're going to get here, um, if he's going to use his personnel right or if he's going to use uh, what sort of pass-run mix that he's going to incorporate yet. Like, we just don't know yet. Well, i got to pull it up right here. So Steve Sarkeesian has eight years as a college football head coach. His record is 46-35. and 35. So he's a big Pac-12 guy. Uh, he coached at Washington, University of Washington, UW, from 2009 to 2013. And Washington, it, the record 46-35, you know, is not, doesn't really catch your attention. But he turned around their program. But he turned around their program, right? You know, Washington was not a powerhouse They conference. were 0-12 the year before he got there. 0-12 the year before he got there. He goes 5-7 and and then... Three straight seasons of seven and six play before finishing out at eight and four in 2013. So he really changed the culture of the Washington football program. Right. And then came the years at USC. So he's got two years there, went nine and four in 2014, and was fired after a three and two start in 2015. 
with USC and he was fired not because really what they were doing on the field, right? I mean, he, they, USC was doing fine on the field. He was leading a good offense, but it was the alcohol abuse issues that he had. Yeah, he had to step away from the game uh, for personal reasons and then he came back. Uh, I believe he came back to Atlanta, right? That's where he came back to. Right? Yeah, he, it was Atlanta Falcons. He came back yeah. after a few years away. Yeah, so he went from uh, from ATL to uh, Alabama where he joined Nick Saban and basically revitalized his entire career because he was at a crossroads after the USC thing. A lot of people didn't know if we'd see Steve Sarkeesian in football again uh, just because of the ugly nature in which it ended. Um, and so he basically revitalized himself with Nick Saban, won a national championship, and did a lot of impressive things there. And that's why Texas fans are obviously excited to have Sarkeesian there uh, because he was the engineer behind the Alabama offense um, and sort of catapulted and gave uh, the space for players like Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddell and, uh, and Tua Tagovailoa and so on and so forth just to continue and do amazing things at Alabama and to provide sort of that Alabama that you see on your TV every January. Hey, y'all, we're going to take a quick break from Brett and I talking y'all's ear off to bring you a quote from Joe Cook, who is a Texas sports beat writer for Inside Texas, and we're going to be discussing the on-field expectations for Steve Sarkeesian in his first year with the program. And looking at what's been going on, you know, this offseason, what is what are kind of like your expectations? What would you mark as like a solid first year for, for Steve Sarkeesian on the field? I think playing close games, remaining in every game, winning, of course, winning a lot of games. I'm kind of throwing a word salad out, trying to get my thoughts. But there were times last year and un- throughout the Tom Herman era where they just did not win close games. I think I saw a stat where they were essentially a coin flip if it was a one-possession game. And that's something you expect. They're one-possession games. They all That's the type of game that goes either way. So I think for Texas, they want to be able to play teams, let's say, like Kansas State, especially this year, like TCU, like Baylor, who are well-coached but have obvious talent deficiencies. Those should be games that maybe they're not, you know, double-digit, three-touchdown margins of victory, but they're games Texas should handle. I want to see Texas be able to use the talent that they have and what I perceive as better schemes under Steve Sarkeesian and defensive coordinator Pete Kwiatkowski in order to use the advantage that they have being the Longhorns. A lot of uh, coaches call it rolling the football out and just letting the, the helmet win. That's tough to do in the Big 12, but There are some games where that should take place, and it did not happen enough under Tom Herman. I want to see Steve Sarkeesian take care of those games, and then when they're playing the better teams in the Big 12, Oklahoma, Iowa State, because you could throw Oklahoma State in there, be competitive. Uh, Oklahoma is a national title contender. Iowa State is a Big 12 championship contender. Those are really good football teams, and that's why you saw a lot of Cyclones and Sooners on the first, on the Big 12 preseason media team. They need to keep those games close. They need to have a chance to win those games, uh, and, and, and that would be the surest sign of progress for me in Steve Sarkeesian in his first year. Now, putting a number on it seems difficult uh, because Texas off or out of conference schedule, I don't want to say it's the hardest thing, but there's challenges. Louisiana was a top 25 team last year and returns a lot. Arkansas hates Texas about as much as Oklahoma and Texas A&M does. And Fayetteville is going to be a hornet's nest. And that's a decent program that grew under Sam Pittman, Sam Pittman, Kendall Bryles, Barry Odom, 
that coaching staff. So they're going to be challenged early. If, you, if I had to put a number on it, I think Texas would want a minimum of eight wins. It'd be happy with nine. And they're probably in the Big 12 title game if they're winning 10. All right, y'all. After that Joe Cook clip, we also wanted to bring you a quote from Robert Trevino, host of the One to Know Sports Show and a rising senior at the University of Texas at Austin. We're going to be talking about the student body excitement for the Steve Sarkeesian era. Uh, kind of the excitement that Texas students have right now about a new football coach and a program that has a lot of change around it. What has been kind of your what has been your vibe right now on the student body with your finger on the pulse? Like, what do you think is the overall, the overall excitement level for this new regime? Well, I think it's crazy um, in terms of the, the vibe that I'm getting. It's just, I mean, if you look at the beginning of the year and you told me there were going to be three headlines and this kind of football is one aspect, but it kind of fits into the whole energy of like Texas athletics uh, where we have Chris Beard, um, then you, of course, bring in Steve Sarkeesian, uh, which we'll get into. And then, I mean, of course, the three-letter word that everyone's talking about right now, uh, the SEC. Uh, so the pulse is just kind of all of this bananas news. Uh, and the expectations just feel kind of big. Um, obviously, with someone like Steve Sarkeesian with his cal- with his pedigree at, at Alabama, uh, you're going to expect a lot. So I think there's an excitement vibe, but I think – in terms of students, and, and this might be a little different for me because I'm a senior and uh, I've kind of seen three years of Texas football. Um, and historically before then, I wasn't too much of a fan of Texas football, but I was knowledgeable about it enough to know that, you know, getting your hopes up as a Texas fan, uh, it can get a little dicey. Uh, it can kind of come back, come back at you. But I, I think the vibe uh, in terms of like on the Texas campus, it's got to be a lot of excitement because these headlines that are coming out, um, it's, it's almost like a dream. I mean, I wasn't expecting Texas going to the SEC. Um, and then you have that with Sarkeesian, and they've been doing all these things behind closed doors. It's just, I mean, they've been making huge moves. Um, so I think for me, it's almost like I don't want to get too caught up in the excitement, but I mean, it almost feels a little bit like mania. And how much of the credit do you think you give to Chris Del Conte, the Texas athletic director? feel like it's not being talked about as much you know, what he has done bringing in new coaches since his reign took over and this sec move that he's seemingly been pulling behind closed doors and keeping the information airtight how much credit do you get for him for the success of texas athletics as a whole and also um this sec move oh tons i mean i think cdc i mean from the word go he's been kind of moving at a rapid pace and the SEC move, like you said, is the culmination of that. I mean, I couldn't think of a more uh, intense play to make uh, than, than to change conferences to the SEC. I mean, it's going to completely revamp college football forever. Uh, so in terms of making those moves, I mean, CDC has been fantastic. And I agree with you. I don't think it has been talked about enough. And I think he's going to get his shine in the end because of Chris Beard and because of Steve Sarkeesian and a lot of these coaches that he's brought in. But also just I think the excitement in general. I, I I remember, I mean, seeing him physically at the college game day uh, at, a, at about 4.30 a.m. out there when I was waiting to, to get in. So, I mean, that type of energy, the energy to, I, I don't know if you saw the video with him, you know, taking all the, the jello shots out in the with Occupy LF. I mean, that was fantastic to see. So I think not only the energy, but then, you know, bringing the energy is, is one thing, but then he also is bringing the results on the other hand with the SEC deal. So 
I mean, in terms of being, I mean, the politician for UT athletics, uh, he's got a lot done. All right, y'all, now that we heard from Robert, we're going to talk to Westcott Ebert, who is a team site producer at Burnt Orange Nation. He's going to be talking about what Steve Sarkeesian has done in his first few months on the job, assembling an assistant yes. coaching staff. All right, uh, Steve Sarkeesian, you've been covering the Texas football team for quite some time now. What are kind of the differences you've seen in – you know, first few month approach with whether it be the media, whether it just be with the team in between, um, you know, Tom Herman, Charlie Strong and Steve Sarkeesian. What are some of the differences you've noticed? Well, I would say, um, you know, just in terms of the media, I don't think that there's anything really different in, in terms of the overall approach. You know, I would say that I think Sarkeesian has gone out and, and hired the best staff of any of the previous coaches, uh, Charlie Strong or Tom Herman, you know, Strong brought some guys with him from Louisville, didn't really go out and, and like hire a lot of really well-known big name coaches. Um, Tom Herman bet his tenure really that the group that he had assembled at Houston would be good enough at Texas. And, and they weren't. And so I think the big thing that, that Sark has done is that he's gone out and hired a really proven coaching staff, you know, guys with really good track records, especially the guys that he's brought from Alabama. Um, Millwee is AJ Millwee, the quarterback's coach is the guy who's making the biggest leap from being an analyst, but he works side by side with Sarkeesian. Um, Kyle flood, the offensive line coach who has experience in the NFL, Jeff banks known as one of the best special teams coaches in the country also you know a remarkable recruiter guys like Bo Davis has experience in the NFL you know all of these guys have a really good track record and one of the things that I went back and looked at when Sark was hired was I looked at his assistant coach coaching hires when he became a head coach and there were a couple missteps with his first staff but overall almost all of the people on his staffs still have prominent positions today, like almost a decade later. So even if he didn't learn anything from his time in Alabama, which he certainly did, I would say, he still had an aptitude for putting uh, coaching staff together, even at that time. And uh, the other thing that I would really say is just, you know, the the changes with the strength and conditioning staff. Um, I think it's a little bit too easy to get over-invested and these guys are in the best shape of their lives and, all of that type of off-season discussion that goes on. But it really does seem notable that they're focusing on explosiveness and flexibility with the uh, the skill position guys, which I think is something that hasn't always really been the case. I mean, dating back to Mad Dog under Mac Brown, this I think could be the biggest change in how Texas football players train in the modern era of the program, really. Yeah, there was no, at this media days, no Tom Herman reading off the squat maxes and the the bench maxes of all his players, kind of like uh, he did before. But I think Keandre Coburn made a really big emphasis kind of on talking about the difference between Yancey McKnight and then um, Tory Becton this year and talking about more like flexibility, like you were saying, more explosive, more like more uh, like Olympic lifts is kind of what he was describing it as more like power clean, hang clean, stuff like that. Um, do you think that's a, that's something that you could see happening in the fall where maybe 
the team looks more fluid, more explosive. Because me personally, watching Texas a lot of times, it seems like, especially the secondary, you got the most jacked dudes out there, right? You got BJ Foster, who's just a physical specimen. Caden Stearns was a physical specimen, but they weren't always able to like run and move with the wide receivers because he's almost so big. And then they almost just get like put down in the box at linebacker. Uh, kind of like DeMarvion Overshone, just because they're just so big and, and not able to run with the big 12 receivers. So do you think this will actually make a difference in the fall? I think there's definitely a potential for that. Um, you know, one of the comments that stood out for me was um, when they were talking uh, to Bajan yesterday, he mentioned the focus on hip flexibility. Mm-hmm. And especially with the things that you're talking about in the secondary, where so much depends on being able to turn and open up your hips um, in coverage, I, I think that's an area where this emphasis definitely could have a significant impact on Texas. Yep. And since Steve Sarkeesian has come in the program, he has revitalized the recruiting outlook for Texas, right? So when Tom Herman was fired, they had exactly one commitment in the class of 2022. Teams like Ohio State had about 10 guys so texas clearly getting outclassed in 2022 recruiting showing that herman's message had gone stale right. uh, his the program was stalling and there was a lot of texas players that was reported that were doing negative recruiting and saying don't come yeah, to texas I, I i remember saying i remember hearing this actually like it's like a like sort of like a deep throat informant i whenever i was back in my bullpen catching days like I would talk to these players because we were like, obviously we're in the same area a lot. And it's sort of that negative recruiting you're talking about. It's just like, I don't even know how to describe it. Herman, his, he ruled through basically like who he learned from, Urban Meyer. He ruled through fear. I mean, you probably know this more than I, like more than I did. You were around the team more than I was. But, you know, players just didn't like playing for him. And, you know, and they, they, and they went out of their way to tell other players that might have wanted to come to the University of Texas at school with, you know, fit half a century of, of tradition and you know one of the best college football schools ever in you know in college football and they're telling these players hey you don't want to come play here that's a problem we have that's a huge problem and thankfully that's no longer one. and you mentioned the urban meyer thing so yeah tom herman was a guy who was the offensive coordinator like we mentioned at ohio state coaching under urban meyer who is a college football legend now the head coach of jacksonville jaguars but has not been known to be the most warm and fuzzy guy. He was a guy who ruled by fear, right. like you're saying, um, was not a, a guy who players always had the greatest relationships with. He was more of the enforcer and a big name. And he's generally a guy that goes to a place and wins a few national championships and no one still likes him after he leaves. You know what I mean? Like he's going to bring national championships to your program, but after he leaves, He's going to leave because of some allegations and no one's going to like him after. So the problem is Herman takes that same approach but can't back it up with national championships. Right. We don't there's not there's we don't recruit the same. There's no the personnel decisions are different. He's a he's a unquestionably an Urban Meyer disciple in terms of team operation and also with relation to his players. But now we have a much different face in the building with Steve Sarkeesian in which I think players are much more comfortable and a lot more happy to just come to the field every day and get to work, which yeah. is a big difference to me as far as just players and, you know, their mental health just as far as coming to practice and enjoying playing for the football team. And to me, I think that that might translate 
to more wins on the field. And so that's why we're that's why we're happy and excited as Texas fans to see Steve, Steve Sarkeesian here. And uh, yeah, the 2022 recruiting class now, you know, you take a look at that. Texas is now seventh in the nation in in recruiting. They've got a new quarterback and it's not Quinn Ewers, but it's Malik Murphy, who is a four star out of California. Sark is a guy who brings those California ties uh, from his Pac-12 days. So it, it, he he has done much better on the recruiting trail than than Herman was doing. But that's also just something that happens with a new coach. It happened with Herman when he took over for Strong. Um, you get a new coach, you get new life in there, and it, it, it quickly surges recruiting now. The main thing is going to be results on the field. If you can't get it done on the field, it's it, the recruiting is going to stall. Yeah, correct. And that's, that's what it comes down to is obviously recruiting. You talked about the way uh, – Tom Herman uh, operated under Urban Meyer and how he was sort of a disciple. And that's the main difference between Urban Meyer and Tom Herman is the essence of recruiting. And like you said, Tom Herman had to be shown the door after you lose someone like Quinn Ewers. And Steve Sarkeesian is showing it already as far as a quick turnaround, just, you know, not how easy it can be, um, but just sort of with, I guess, a different approach, how this can be more productive as far Mm -hmm. as gaining recruits. And maybe we'll see come August or September um, as far as wins on the field. So. Hey, y'all, we're going to take a quick break from Brett and I talking y'all's ear off to bring you a quote from Cami Griffin, who is the managing editor at Longhorns Wire. She's going to be talking about Texas recruiting and how Sark has fared on the recruiting trail in his first few months on the job. Hype with Sark, uh, new head coaching staff, the Tom Herman era got a little stagnant there towards the end. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you do a lot of work covering the recruiting trail. I wanted to get your thoughts on how Sark has fared in recruiting in the 2021 class at the very end when he came on and after Mm -hmm. the national championship and then also 2022 recruiting class, because that was an area that really stalled under Herman. They only had one commitment, the class 22. Now Sark has been hitting the ground running. What are some of your thoughts on how he's done so far? Yeah, I'm actually quite impressed. I know I don't really put much weight on the 2021 class just because that was such a quick turnaround for Sark. Um, that's still technically Herman's class. I think with his full his first full class with the 2022 group, I think he's doing well. At one point, he was within the top five uh, in the country. I think right now he's sitting at number 11 in terms of uh, 24-7 sports rankings. Uh, but we're talking if you land even just a few of those primary targets, such as Evan Stewart, Evan Campbell, um, I know Denver Harris is probably leaning elsewhere, but um, Bryce Anderson, for example, I think will land Derek Brown in the coming days. So I think once you add just maybe even two, uh, especially three of those, we'll pop right back into maybe the sixth, seven, eighth range in the nation. And I think Texas fans should be pretty content with Sark's full, first full class being within the top 10. I think that's just a, a sign of good things to come, essentially. Um, I think obviously they're they're doing well. I mean, Herman also was a great recruiter until the very end, but um, he had several top 10 classes. So I don't think that was necessarily an issue at Texas. I think uh, Sark and his staff definitely have to prove the player development aspect, um, no matter what or how high of a ranking of a class they bring in. But so far, I'm pretty impressed. Who was like a decommitment or a, a recruit that you thought was going to go to Texas and committed elsewhere? maybe some misses who have been some misses that uh, you've been somewhat disappointed that didn't go to Texas or you thought Sark was going to get them and ended up going elsewhere. Ooh, I would probably say there's a few, I think Oregon actually snagged several that I was hoping Texas would 
uh, land, especially a, an offensive lineman, Kelvin Banks, I believe. So um, that was probably the biggest shocker to me. Um, normally you can kind of see how things are going with the crystal ball predictions and things like that. So um, I don't know. I think the decommits from Texas are more shocking to me rather than um, some of our primary targets committing elsewhere. I think with NIL, it's just too hard to, um, and everyone's obviously new with the NIL uh, law being passed. So um, I've heard conflicting reports about how Texas is handling it. So I think that plays a large role into recruiting. And I think uh, Stark and staff will probably turn that around at some point and figure it all out. But especially going to the SEC, that's obviously going to help. But um, I think it's more of an NAL thing at this point if a recruit goes elsewhere more than anything else. So um, I think Stark will eventually turn around and we'll be fine. The 2020 Texas football team was obviously a team who they had a lot of veteran leadership. They had juniors, seniors all over the field. They had a senior quarterback, four-year starter. And that was why they had so much expectations. And even though they went seven and three with an albumable victory, they didn't play for a Big 12 championship. And I think that was the reason Herman was shown the door. Brett, let's talk about let's get let's talk about five players that are not on the 2021 roster that we're gonna miss the most. And and we're kind of guys who were, were game changers and we wish would be back this year. Yeah, and I think we should start with someone that you already mentioned because I think this is going to determine, you know, just how far this Texas team goes this year. And I think the number one position that we're going to miss is quarterback. Um, it starts and ends with quarterback, and that's why we've got so much media around the Hudson card and Casey Thompson uh, competition. But we're going to miss Sam Ellinger. Um, he was a playmaker. He did everything that he was asked to for four years. He won big games. Um, basically, if you're a Texas fan that's watched your TV within the last four years, you know who number 11 is. Um, and so that's going to be a, be a player that if you're a Texas fan that's watched games, you're going you're gonna to notice that you're not seeing him anymore. You're going to see a new, a new face behind center. And so, yeah, what do you think the, the significance of getting a new quarterback is behind like or under center? Well, first off, I wanted to kind of talk about Ellinger and his career because he's kind of a polarizing figure for Texas football fans. You know, there's a lot of people, most people I would say, love him and respect him for what he did. But there's also a solid group of people who think it was a little underwhelming, his his four-year career under Herman. My thing about Sam Ellinger is he, he was a dude who – Texas football had no stability at quarterback after Colt McCoy, the last great Texas QB. And in, in the early part of the 2010s, it was just missed recruit and failed QB production year in and year out. But Sam Ellinger was really a guy who kind of came in and – was a central figure on this offense and Texas hadn't seen it since Colt McCoy. So I think Sam Ellinger was a guy who there was times he struggled with the deep ball. You know, he had limitations as an, as an accurate passer, but with those limitations, he made up for it with his leadership and his, his love for like the university. And I think him, there were so many games, you think of OU last year, you think of Texas Tech last year, where he straight up just imposed his will on the game. Yeah, I just think th- I just think there's so many games from Sam Ellinger where you're like, man, how many hits did Sam Ellinger take that game? How many times did he just like throw his body to get a first down or get past the goal line? And that's what we're going to miss about number 11 the most is that, that sort of gritty and toughness. And like you said, that's something that we didn't have throughout the years of Gary Gilbert you know, the 18 package of Tyrone Swoop, yeah. uh, you know, Case, uh, Case McCoy, just all the, the years of uh, influx at the quarterback position at the University of Texas, Sam Ellinger put a stop to it. 
And to have that for four consistent years at a, at a big D1 school or at a big uh, blue chip program is big. Like the quarterback position in college football is the most important position ever, obviously. Yeah. And Sam Ellinger brought stability to that whenever it was really needed. And Sam Ellinger is, is a guy, so I think a lot – here's what I'm trying to say. is basically – Sam Ellinger, as a running quarterback, he wasn't always the quickest dude, but he was just a bowling ball. I mean, him on short yardage packages, the thing that made him special was he would stick his foot in the ground, get upfield north and south, and he would carry defenders on his back. So the new guy who comes in, you know, Casey Thompson or Hudson Card, whoever, we'll discuss it later, who that QB battle, they're both guys who are more slender than Sam Ellinger was. They got a lot more quickness, I would say, but the short yardage packages uh, where Ellinger is really the bell cow, you're not going to see that anymore from this Texas And team. I think that's the, like you said, that's the biggest uh, difference you'll see going into this season is you won't have a quarterback who's as eager or is as willing to stick his nose and, you know, just sort of put his body on the line for that extra yard or that extra first down. And so that goes a really long way just as far as third down percentages go. And like we know, you know, the game is one on third down. And so that's a big deal. And so we'll see, we'll see a much much different quarterback behind, or I keep on saying, I keep on wanting to say behind the center, whenever you're under center. Uh, but I guess he's behind the center because he'll probably be in the shotgun. So, yeah, we'll see a big yeah, difference. And so Sam Ellinger, I'm reading off some of his, his records he has for Texas, eighth all time in rushing touchdowns, fourth in victories, second in starts, second in passing yards, second in completions. All those second marks are behind Colt McCoy who was the quarterback from 2006 to 2009. So a fantastic career for Sam Ellinger. Um, and he's a guy that Texas fans are really going to miss. Hey, y'all, we're going to take a quick break from Brett and I talking y'all's ear off to bring you another quote from Wes Scott Eberts of Burnt Orange Nation. He's going to be talking about the difference between Sam Ellinger, last year's Texas quarterback, to whoever the new guy is, whether that be Casey Thompson or Hudson Card to talk about it the, the quarterback battle at texas uh they've got two guys who obviously sarkeesian said they're very excited about and casey thompson hudson card um but i wanted to ask you like what do you think the longhorns are gonna miss about sam ellinger at quarterback this season and then on the flip side what might improve like what areas do you think casey thompson and hudson card could be better at than ellinger was yeah i, th- I think um you know, the, the big thing that they're going to miss from Ellinger is, I think, just the leadership and the toughness, two areas where he was really exceptional. Um, you know, in more of the schematic frame of things, the thing that really stands out is that, you know, when Texas got into short yardage situations under Tom Herman, they really wanted to run Sam Ellinger and have that plus one advantage. Uh, Steve Sarkeesian, just, uh, he doesn't believe in that. So when he's in those situations, I think it kind of remains to be seen how he navigates those things. But, you know, Texas is going to have to execute being down a man in that position because, you know, they don't they don't plan on running the quarterback. I I think it would be a mistake, you know, not if Casey Thompson is a quarterback, for instance, not to have like quarterback draw in the playbook, Mm -hmm. for instance, you know, they're they're going to run run pass options to option people off. You know, I don't really see them running zone read or, or speed option or or anything like that based on on what Sarkis said in the past. Um, but I, I think the area where they could really improve is, um, you know, in the deep ball. I thought Ellinger did a good job of throwing the ball down the sidelines, but I think he, he really struggled um, 
putting the ball in the right place on post routes. Uh, I mean, which is, I remember talking to Tim Beck about this because Ellinger was missing Duvernay in 2019 fairly regularly on those, on those routes. And I think just the fact that, you know, the wide receiver is moving in two planes, he's moving vertically and also horizontally, and then has to bend depending on, you know, what the coverage looks like. And, you know, that's, that's really an important play for Texas this year too, because part of what Sark wants to do with his run pass options is to force a middle safety to come up close to the line of scrimmage to either take away the run or to be in that hole when they run glance routes over the middle on their RPOs. And so what he wants to do when he sees that is throw the post route over the top. And that's a route that Ellinger didn't throw well. I think, you know, Casey Thompson has good touch. You know, we saw him hit uh, Calvante Dixon um, in the Alamo bowl and, and, you know, some of the other throws, uh, the throw that he made to uh, Kate Brewer, like being able to fit that into a small window over an underneath defender, that's a really difficult throw to make. And so I think, you know, if Hudson Card doesn't maximize his potential this year, which I think he will eventually, I'm not sure if he, he's quite ready yet. Um, if he's not ready and it comes down to Casey Thompson, I, I think there's really some throws that, that Ellinger struggled with that, that contributed to his drop in the NFL draft that, that Thompson, I, I think, has the potential and the ability, you know, as we saw in the Alamo Bowl to make. Yeah, I think of that Alamo Bowl, too, for a lot of Texas fans when he makes that, like, 73-yard throw to Kilvante Dixon, just something they just hadn't seen all season, really. It's an, it's an area that Ellinger, like you're saying, kind of struggled with. But uh, for me personally, too, I've been re-watching some of the season over the last, you know, few weeks, and the tough yards and the the like you're talking about like the QB power run game is something that I don't think Casey Thompson or Hudson card has in them like Sam Ellinger did now I think Sam Ellinger was I don't know if it was ever clear that he was hurt but he definitely seemed to have lost a step kind of towards the end of the season wasn't really running as hard downhill um, and I think that's also something that kind of hurt the Texas offense because they lost the whole dimension of it but um, yeah like I think with this quarterback battle, it, it, it almost feels like Casey Thompson might take it because he's older. Uh, and because if, if Hudson card starts, Casey Thompson's gone, don't you think? Like he's probably transferring. Most likely. Yeah. That's, that's typically how things work, but you know, I, I like your point about, um, about Ellinger and, and kind of slowing down. I, I think uh, more than just a running game though, being banged up a lot, um, I, I think really had an impact on him and, and his accuracy with some of these throws that we're talking about. And I think that for what Sarkeesian wants to do, one of the best arguments for really having that pocket passer that you don't put at risk through the running game is that you can get him through the season without those type of injuries that impact accuracy. And I think especially for Casey Thompson and, you know, Hudson Card, neither of those guys are, you know, I mean, Casey Thompson's in, in great shape. Like, he's well-built, but Carter's a little bit smaller. You know, Thompson's not really that big himself. And, and so I think, you know, being able to – whichever quarterback ends up being the starter, being able to keep them from being banged up and just having that that health and fitness to be able to make the throws that Sarkeesian needs, I think is something that, 
you know, could be a significant difference this season compared to Ellinger and the Herman era. Brett, give me, give me the second guy who you're going to miss. The second guy who I think the University of Texas will miss is obviously Joseph Asai. The production that he provided uh, – Last year, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but you really don't even have to have the numbers in front of you to understand Joseph Asai's production. If you watched Texas football last year, he was all over the field. He was always in the backfield uh, for tackles for loss and was also able to, to rush the quarterback uh, and able sort of to only provide uh, sort of just like an isolated pass rush for the University of Texas. There was no other source of consistent pressure other than Joseph Osai, and that's something that the University of Texas has struggled to garner you know, since the Mac Brown days is a consistent pass rush. And so for Joseph Asai to come in and to have a season that landed him, I believe, in the second or third round in the draft, or I can't remember what round exactly. Third round, third round yeah, he was drafted in the third round. Uh, and coming into the season, I don't think he was regarded as a guy, you know, as a top 50 guy in the NFL draft. And he sort of made himself into that uh, with a spectacular season at Texas. And so I think uh, whenever you're a Texas fan that watches this season in comparison to the last one, you're going to see a much, much bigger drop-off in terms of pass rush production, especially because we are losing. Yeah, and I didn't have the numbers memorized either, but I just pulled them up because I was actually really curious. So 2019-2020, so his sophomore, junior seasons. 2019, he has 90 total tackles, 13 and a half for loss, five sacks. 2020, obviously a shortened season because he – you know, opted out after Texas lost to Iowa State to prepare on prepare for the draft. Had 55 tackles, 15 and a half for loss, and 5.5 sacks. So he's a war daddy on the edge, of what they like to call him in Dallas. Jerry Jones. In war Dallas, daddy. That's, a, that's a Jerry Jones uh, homage right there. But Joseph Sai, I mean, you look at games last year, like Oklahoma State comes to mind for me. The dude is just all over the field, relentless motor. Uh, he's chasing down players when he's seemingly out of the play. You know, he's constantly beating bigger left tackles off the edge with his speed. He makes that game-winning sack in overtime at Oklahoma State. I was about to talk about that Oklahoma State game just because that was so special last year, and this is so important to bring up because in that Oklahoma State game, he had 12 – he's the first Power 5 player to record at least 12 tackles, six tackles for loss, and three sacks in a game since Ndamukong Sue in 2009 against Texas. So he was the sixth player in FBS history to accomplish that feat since 2000. The dude, like you said, is a war daddy. And so whenever you lose uh, – the production of a war daddy, you're going to notice it. And as a Texas fan, when you're going to watch it this year, you're definitely going to notice the loss of Joseph Osai. Yeah, and they've, they've tried to bring in transfers to replace Joseph Osai, mainly Ray Thornton, who is a guy from LSU, graduate transfer, uh, wearing Joseph Osai's 46 jersey. Uh, he's not the same player as Joseph Osai, uh, obviously. It's very hard to reach those expectations, but he's a guy who's – Seemingly providing veteran leadership in the locker room from what I've heard in press conferences and stuff like that. Uh, but there's not any clear-cut guy to to take over for Joe Sosa. It's going to be a team effort. So it's going to be Ray Thornton. It's going to be, you know, Moro Jomo is probably going to have to step up and, and, and rush off the edge. You'll probably see Ben Davis, an Alabama transfer, uh, who is a transfer linebacker, he will have to step up and, and rush off the edge. And then some younger guys like Jet Bush or Prince Dorba will have to have to step up, and, and it'll, be a, it'll be a rotating cast of characters for sure. It's not going to be one guy who replaces all that production. Yeah, and that's going to be the challenge uh, for Kwiatkowski and uh, you know, the rest of the Texas defensive unit is sort of just how to maximize these players that we might not just have 
as much eye-popping talent as Joseph Osai. We got all these transfers that are coming, and we just don't have the guy that we're looking at right now that's like, okay, we can count on this guy to give us 10 sacks this year. You know what I mean? And so this is going to be a big opportunity for, uh, excuse me, for Kwiatkowski uh, and the rest of the Texas defense, like I said, to sort of see how good we are at, at, at coaching and developing these players and into guys they probably weren't before. Hey, y'all, we're going to take a quick break from Brett and I talking your ear off to bring you a quote from Jeff Ketchum, who works for Orange Bloods covering Texas sports. He's going to be talking about the expectations he has for the transfer linebackers on UT's football team this year. Texas has brought in a lot of transfers, particularly in the linebacker rotation, um, with Juwan Mitchell leaving for Tennessee and Joseph Osai obviously going off to the NFL. What are kind of your expectations for some of those transfer linebackers, i.e. Ray Thornton, Ben Davis? Um, and do you think there is a guy here who could potentially get like six to eight sacks and not necessarily – fill the shoes of Joseph Osai, but help in the locker room with leadership and, and things of that nature? Well, I think the last point you that just made, helping in the locker room with leadership, I think that's really where Ray Thornton and Ben Davis come into play. These are guys that – and really, OVO should be mentioned in that as well. I mean, we're talking – those three players all have played in the playoff, you know, as recent as – for Ray Thornton two years ago, but both Ovi and Ben Davis were on teams that were in the playoff last year. So as this coaching staff looks to set and establish markers that the entire program has to hit in order to achieve a certain level of success, having a few players in their older players who can point to this is what we did. And, and to both Ray Thornton and Ben Davis's credit, I've heard they both came in comfortable being able to say, this isn't good enough. We did this at Alabama, and I think they've received receptive ears in the locker room. This isn't a locker room that thinks it's so good that it can't have help, that it can't learn things. And I actually give credit to a guy like Keandre Coburn, some of the older leaders on this team that have opened the door up and allowed these guys to come in and spread their wings a little bit on the leadership front that is probably much needed. It speaks a lot, I think, to the character of a guy, to all of the older leaders. And I mentioned Coburn, but there's a number of them. I mean, Derek Kerstetter on the offensive side of the ball would be another guy. Guys that are captain-like players in this program that have made sure that new voices aren't being treated as confrontational voices. And that's easier said than done. I think on the field, I think most of these guys are just guys. And I don't mean to insult Ben Davis, and I don't mean to insult Ray Thornton, but combined, we're talking about eight, nine, ten years collectively of college football experience from the time these both of these players are only playing this year because the NCAA gave a waiver with regards to COVID. Otherwise, we're talking about fifth-year seniors who walk on senior day at their respective schools and they're kind of done playing college football and maybe they're doing videos like us, or maybe they're getting jobs in the real world. That is what happens when pretty average players don't go to play in the NFL. I have low expectations. And if they exceed them, then fantastic. I think Ovi is the exception to the linebacker rule. And look, Devin Richardson is another guy that I think falls into the category of 
may have a chance to be an impact player on this team, but I'm curious to see how they get all the pieces on the field together. I mean, you know, when you think about it, DeMarvion Overshone did not have spring football because of the labrum injury that he's coming back from. So when you throw Ovi into the mix, when you throw a recovering DeMarvion Overshone, when you add Devin Richardson, who has a lot of similar characteristics as DeMarvion in terms of a skill set, can they get both of those guys on the field together? Is is it a two-man rotation of sorts and that two of your best players on defense are so similar in style that they play the same position and you can't get them on the field together at the same time? I mean, these are questions that we won't start to know some of the answers to until the coaches get these guys on the field and start tinkering. I think in order for this Texas defense to be really good, Ovi has to be the single most impactful recruit from the transfer portal in this class. Because I don't feel confident that anybody else is going to generate the pass rush that he's capable of. And even he, a guy that's been on the two deep for the Notre Dame team the last few years, has I think he played 30-something snaps in the playoff game in December against Clemson. This is a situation where he's got to take his productivity load up significantly. And I think the hope would have been, you know, now is when the light switch comes on for a guy like that. He's going into his his third season of playing, and this is this is old school football when you would expect guys to really flip the switch. You're going to have to hope that that switch occurs on Texas's watch. It didn't happen on Notre Dame's watch, and the real reason that he transferred from Notre Dame, in reality, is that he was going to get passed up by a younger player at his position, which means that he had potentially a spot where he was going to be marginalized to rotation player throughout the rest of his career, he gets to come to Texas and the platform is his. If he can just grab it and take off with it. And of all of the guys this year, I think he's, I know it's a really long winded answer. So apologies for that, but I, I, he's the guy that I would point to and say, if it's going to happen, it has to happen with him Everybody else I've got some question marks about. He's the guy that I think has unquestioned immediate playing time in front of him. If he can just catch lightning in a bottle during August and and gain the the type of confidence that would allow the coaches to put him on the field for the first snap on defense in September. So as we know, um, we have a new head coach and Steve Sarkeesian and with a new head coach and a completely new regime and with a lot of transfers, there's a lot to be excited about. There's a lot of new players, a lot of new faces um, and just a lot of new things to be excited about that don't even have to do with specific players and faces anyway. Uh, there's just a lot of things to be excited about surrounding this Texas football program right now. It's, we're, we're feeling like it's 05. There's a lot to be excited about. Um, and so, yeah, so I just want Carter basically uh, to tell me, what's your, what's your number one thing that you're excited about? Number one thing I'm looking forward to in the 2021 season is how is sophomore running back Bijan Robinson going to be used in Sarkeesian's offense? It's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Steve Sarkeesian is a guy who – coach – Every year he's been an offensive coordinator, he has had a 1,000-yard running back. So Bijan Robinson had a fantastic season as a freshman last year. He broke Texas's single-season yards per carry uh, rushing average record. He basically forced Keontae Ingram out of town 
because Keontae Ingram knew he couldn't compete anymore with Bijan Robinson. Um, but Bijan Robinson, if he had gotten more carries last year, I think you could see Tom Herman still being the coach. He is that much of a difference maker. And he, I think what happened is Herman wanted to put the training wheels on him. Um, he, he didn't want to force him into the action right away as is per usual for a lot of freshmen, but Bijan is a guy who looks the part. He is big. He is fast. He has great balance. He has all the intangibles you want out of a running back. And I'm excited to, right. And that's basically, I think what you say goes hand in hand. What I'm most excited for is just to see these players used the right way. And Bijan Robinson is exhibit. A number one in capital letters, Bijan Robinson, to see that because with the last the last coaching regime, we watched these players and we watched uh, Bijan Robinson kind of used with training wheels. You know, I mean, we didn't really get to see the true Bijan Robinson experience until November. And I actually have these numbers in front of me. Like this is on November tenth. Uh, we had the numbers. It was we had Keontae Ingram who was averaging four point seven. Uh, yards a carry, and then we had Roshan Johnson, who was averaging 4.3 yards a carry, and then we had Bajon Robinson, who was averaging 5.8. So he's averaging a full yard more than these guys, and this is before he even started going crazy in November, and this is before he was even able to get on the field. And so now we don't have to have these training wheels on this guy who we know is a lot better than everyone else in the room. Like, we know Rajon Johnson is really good, especially a converted quarterback. Like, he is a really good running back, especially to have as a number two. But I am just as excited as you are uh, just to see the training wheels taken off of Bajon Robinson and just to see more of personnel being used correctly and just use more. Like you said, um, he just wasn't used as much as he was supposed to be last year, and that was a big part of why Herman is no longer here. But now, you know, you look at Robinson – and you look at eight yards an attempt, and how is it? How can you not get excited about that? That is, it's so exciting. And you know, he draws comparisons to Reggie Bush. He, you know, it's that one cut ability. And whenever you hear Reggie Bush and you think about college football, that's some of the most exciting stuff ever. And yeah. so, there's nothing more to be excited about as a Texas fan than to watch Bajon Robinson carry the football this year. Hey, y'all, we're going to take a quick break from Brett and I talking y'all's ear off to bring you a quote from Joe Cook of Inside Texas once again, talking about his expectations for Bijan Robinson. And by far, the guy who has the most hype around this Texas football team is Bijan Robinson. And I really liked your article a while back. It was about long term questions for every you know team in the Big 12. Texas, the question you had was, how far can Bijan Robinson carry this team? And, you know, like we talked about, Robinson is a guy who's received an enormous amount of hype after his performance last year, set the Texas record for yards per carry. What are your expectations for Robinson in year two with an increased workload? And are there any like weaknesses in his game that, that you see that he needs to get better on before he can take that next step? Well, I think you said it there, increased workload. Uh, it, this guy is going to get the ball. Last year, Tom Herman as a lot of coaches do kind of put the training wheels on, on B. John Robinson and didn't let him get a ton of carries. Of course, when he scorpioned in, in Lubbock at Texas tech, I think that held him out or held him very limited in the next game. But there was a lot of people who were very displeased. At the fact that B. John Robinson was not getting the ball. And then he goes at the end of the year and does what he does. So I think uh, what he needs to be able to do is a be able to hold up, getting the ball 20 times, maybe even 25 times a game. Najee Harris, who a lot of people want to talk about with regards to Steve Sarkeesian and successful running backs in his offense from Alabama, he got the ball a lot. He got the ball out of the backfield. He got the ball on handoffs. He definitely got the ball a lot. 
So he needs to be able to hold up physically and be able to do everything that's asked for of him. Luckily, he's got someone behind him in both Rashawn Johnson and Keelan Robinson, another Alabama transfer, who if he does need a breather, it'll be okay and there won't be that much of a drop-off. Uh, but that Bijan, his his main thing this year is being able to stay on the field for all that Steve Sarkeesian asks him to do. And then if he wanted to go secondary, I think you'd have to say pass protection. That's always what, what freshman running backs struggle with. That's always what any running back seems to really struggle with. He can work on that. He's on his way towards becoming a pretty complete back. All right. Now you go. Give me give me something you're excited about. Uh, well, something that I'm excited about, like I said, uh, just was to see uh, the players be used in the right way. Uh, but another thing I'm excited about was something I just talked about earlier, and it's just that improvement in culture in the locker room. I think mm-hmm. the uh, just the players being able to enjoy going to work every day and enjoy going to practice. And I, what was the what was the scandal last year? Remind me. Uh, I believe there was a wide receivers coach who was fired last year with an, because of an incident with the wide receivers, and like they basically said, you know, we can't work with this guy anymore, and we had they had to be immediately replaced. I think. I don't know if it was ever like it wasn't like a specific issue. I think it was just a long term. He lost the respect, right? Of his and so that, but that is more so like a microcosm of everyone on the roster. Yeah. Whenever you have you going into these meetings and you're like, oh man. There's this wide receivers or my position coach is going to be awful. I hate coming here every day. And so now that there's a regime uh, there that's put in place in which players, at least on the surface level, I mean, they always talk like this with a new coach, at least they usually do. Mm-hmm. Um, but whenever it looks like on the surface level, it's like you have players uh, that are enjoying going to play football every day for your program. I think that makes a big difference. And I think that's a, a thing I'm a lot, a lot of bit excited for. Yeah. Just because like you said earlier, um, you know, there was guys that were selling recruits. Don't come here. And this is the University of Texas. And so for that not to be a thing anymore, I think that's really exciting. And Steve Sarkeesian's big message at Big 12 Media Days was he was super impressed with the buy-in he's gotten from his program. And Bijan Robinson echoed those thoughts with, when he talked to the media. He was saying it's a player-led team this year. And that's right. always – the championship teams are always player-led. Right. If you've got to have the coach being the ultimate locker room leader – it's a sign that you don't have the veteran leadership right. necessary. Unless you're Urban Meyer, you can't afford to be an a-hole. Unless you can recruit like him. You know yeah. I mean? And, and you, you can't afford your coaches to act just like you either. And so whenever it comes whenever it comes down to it, it doesn't look like we have that anymore. And so now that we have uh, players who believe in what they're being coached and who actually um, understand and enjoy what it means to come to the football field every day, I think that's something that's going to relate to definitely more wins as far as an overall tenure goes. And the other thing I'll say about that is I think the overall focus is more on just football this fall. Mm-hmm. Bijan Robinson talked about this extensively. Basically, last year, as we all know, there was you know COVID-19. The pandemic was changing the, sk- the landscape of college football. We had social justice protests going on uh, for for what happened last summer with the George Floyd right. um, with the George Floyd incident and then and you have the Urban Meyer rumors like just read this tweet from Anwar Richardson from back in last November Tom Herman said that Urban Meyer rumors hurt the Longhorns in recruiting because opposing schools just hit print and show it to recruits to use against Texas he described how difficult it is to fight reports by unnamed sources yeah this is something we're dealing with at the University of Texas like are you kidding me mm-hmm. and this isn't here anymore I think Texas fans should be like doing parades in the street just off the fact that we're not having to deal with that anymore. We're yes. not having to worry about what Chris Del Conte is tweeting anymore, and we can focus on football, like you said. And that's what that was. B. Sean Robinson was talking about. It's like the, the locker room got split up last season because of all the outside noise and external factors. And this year, 
at least from what they're saying to the public, it's it's a much more player led focused team. Yeah, and so I, I, I would certainly agree with the the player led uh, and just the overall culture being better already. Um, what's something more on the field that you are more excited about coming up this year? On the field, I'm excited to see which linebacker is going to step up mm-hmm. for Texas. So Texas linebacking core is very inexperienced. Jawan Mitchell, last year's leading tackler, it transferred to Tennessee at the end of the season. DeMarvion Overshone is the converted safety at weak side linebacker who had a, a great season last year, Big 12 honorable mention. Mm-hmm. But he was out all spring with shoulder a soldier surgery. Shoulder surgery. Mr. Wristbands himself. Agent Zero, arm bandit. <laughs> um, he's a guy who's penciled in as a starter, but during the spring, they really had to break in some new guys. And I'm excited to see guys like David Benda, who it earned extensive praise from Sarkeesian and showed big playability throughout spring scrimmages. I'm excited to see him take the next step, maybe as a starter this year, possibly. I'm excited for guys like Jalen Ford, uh, a dude who is, I believe, going to be a redshirt freshman. He was on the team last year, but I don't. He might have exhausted. He might have. He might be a sophomore. He might be a redshirt freshman. Either way, he didn't play very much last year. Uh-huh. Um, and and also. On the on the field is Aodeli Adeoyi. I <laughs> know I totally butchered that, that name. Good actually, but he he <laughs> entered the transfer portal in the spring and is coming back now after not basically not going to another team. Didn't get picked up in the transfer portal. He's physically huge. Mm-hmm. He's well built. He looks the part. Hasn't has dealt with injuries and hasn't really had the production yet as he was probably foreseen to as a four star recruit. But I'm interested to see what he's going to do this season, uh, maybe stepping up as one of the veterans on that team. Now, he did lose a spring of working with a new defensive coordinator, but he's a he's a, a linebacker who they need right now for depth. So I, I really just want to see who's going to step up and become the new guy at right. linebacker. Because with so many guys that uh, we lost naturally uh, in the transfer portal with, you have a coach leaving, you're going to leave, you're going to lose guys in the transfer portal. Uh, but luckily we were able to get guys, like you said, with Ray Thornton and the linebacker from Alabama. And we have just a lot of transfers who we just don't know anything about. And also just with the guy you said earlier, David, Jim, uh, how do you say his name again? I'm sorry. David Benda. David Benda. I always get the G. Yeah. The Benda. silent G. Yeah, gets David you. Benda, yeah. David Benda. He's really, he's a, he's a former walk-on, right? Or was he? No, 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 no. Oh, he was he? a walk-on. Oh, okay. We're going to have to cut that part out. Anyways. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, nah, anyways, no, I'm really excited to see what these new transfers and like just all these players that are all these holes that are to be filled, it's going to be really exciting to see these guys, like you said, that haven't been able to really to given a chance to prove themselves yet. Um, in Texas or at, in Austin, they're going to, they're going to get a chance to do it. Um, and so, but one more thing that I wanted to mention that I'm really excited about uh, to see as far as uh, on-field production goes, I'm really excited to see just the special teams this year. We're going to be returning all three uh, returners in special teams. And to me, a lot of games can be won and, won and lost with special teams. We saw it last year. We struggled sometimes whenever we had to punt where we had to use Cameron Dicker as our punter. Mm-hmm. Um, there were times whenever he was good. He was just inconsistent. Um, but we have Deshaun Jameson, who is a real home run threat every single time he touches the ball on a kick return and a punt return. And so I think that having that is going to be super exciting just to see, um, just to maybe just try and steal some points from uh, some challenging teams that we're going to have to beat. We're going to have to find a lot of ways to beat. 
Yeah. Deshaun Jameson, one of two Longhorns on the preseason All-Big 12 media team. And part of the reason for that is because of how electric he is as a returner in the special teams game. I mean, you'll remember the Oklahoma State game last year. That's a game where Texas is down by 10 in the second half, and the game is threatening to get away from them. But Deshaun Jameson, like, boom, switch, changes the entire face of the game with one with one touch of the ball. Right. So I think special teams is going to be – is, should be a strength for Texas yeah. this year. They got Cameron Dicker, one of the best uh, kickers in the Big 12. Uh, Ryan Bucheski really will good. be back. Uh, he's a he's a great, solid punter, but he was out, like you mentioned last year, with an injury towards the end of the season where Cameron Dicker had to become the punter in an emergency role. Mm-hmm. So we got two veteran guys in the kick game, and we got probably the best returner in the Big 12. Yeah, You need – good special teams to be a national title contender. And what I was going to say is um, if you're not a huge college football fan, I think it, it should be important to note, like, special teams in college football, I think, are really volatile and they're like, really a revolving door. Even at good college programs, you see, like, sometimes a good college program, you're like, man, how do they not have a kicker? Or how do they not have mm-hmm. a guy who can punt the ball 40 yards? And Texas right now has that aspect figured out in every single facet of, of special teams. And to have that, I think that's super important and it definitely gives you an advantage, especially over teams – um, that you might be looking to contend with in postseason play because that's really where the difference comes in in special teams is that you might need that extra kick, you need that those extra yards on a punt, or a guy who can potentially change an entire game on a punt return or a kick return. And so for Texas to have all three of those things in comparison to maybe not everyone else in the country having them, especially the big dogs that we, that we talk about a lot, I think that's a big deal. We've put it off until now, but I think we got to say it. Another thing I'm really looking forward to seeing is what these new quarterbacks can do. Uh, we don't know who's starting yet. There are two candidates. is junior Casey Thompson, redshirt freshman Hudson Card. Casey Thompson is came into the bowl game against Colorado when Sam Ellinger got hurt last, last fall and tore it up. Yeah, he was amazing. He Eight was for ten passing, something like that, four t- passing touchdowns. Mm-hmm. 73-yard touchdown pass to Kelvante Dixon, and he showed a little shimmy, too, a lot of quickness in the run game. <laughs> and that's the advantage that he has right now over the freshman Hudson card is just that, is just that, ex- that game experience. Um, it's because he, just, he has the numbers and he has the film, and he just has more. It just seems like he has more, if I'm reading the language right, within these press conferences, that he has maybe just a little bit more trust with Sarkeesian right now just because he's yeah. a little bit older and has, he's ran the offense before. He's been the primary backup for three years. Right, exactly. And so, but... you. You might, you might, the three years become a little less legit whenever you factor in the fact uh, that the head coach he was with for those three years isn't here anymore. So Very he has a true. whole new playbook uh, to learn. But right now, as it stands, uh, Casey Thompson, he has the years and experience on Hudson Card. And if I had to pick one, like there's a gun to my head right now, if I had to pick one, I think it would probably be Casey Thompson. Mm-hmm. But it could be a completely different story come fall. Like, like we said, this is a new head coach. It's a full of surprises. We have no idea. Well, Steve Sarkeesian also said they, they're going to need both quarterbacks. You, you need to have right. uh, two guys who are capable of playing the position in case one of them goes down. You don't want to be in a situation where – you pick a starter, the other guy transfers, and oh snap, now the starter's hurt, and we got to go to, you know, third string right. freshman quarterback. Exactly. So, regardless of who wins this competition, I think quarterback has the potential to still be a real strong strength. You're going to see both. Right. It's going to be a strength for Texas football. Um, and I think, just like you said, I mean, John Madden, what does he say? If you have two quarterbacks, you have none. Uh, but I don't think Steve Sarkeesian sees it the same way. I think he sees it. As if Casey Thompson or Hudson Carr, whoever wins the job, if need be, it's going to be vital for the other guy to be able to come in and, and you know, be productive as well. Very true. 
Thank you so much for listening to episode one of the Feels Like 05 Texas Football Preview Podcast. Be sure to stick around for episode two coming up where me and Brett are going to be diving into the schedule for the 2021 season. Can't miss it.